you have your Bibles, turn to Lamentations chapter 4. Lamentations chapter 4. God is always just in what he does, whether one agrees with him or not. The issue many have today, and they had back then, is how much is too much when it comes to judgment and devastation. You see, Israel, specifically Judah, for our reference here, never believed that judgment was coming, as they had been blessed beyond measure and were spared many times when others had been going through judgment. Just as they were shocked to see judgment fall hard on them, it also is shocking to many as followers of Christ when God deals with their refusal to take seriously those things which are considered sacred. This morning we're going to look at three things specifically. Number one, the personal witness to judgment, verses 1 through 10. Number two, the outside witness to judgment, verses 11 through 20. And number three, the future reversal of judgment, verses 21 through 22. Let's start with number one, personal witness to judgment, verses 1 through 10. How the gold has become dim. How changed the fine gold. The stones of the sanctuary are scattered at the head of every street. The precious sons of Zion, valuable as fine gold. How they are regarded as clay pots, the work of the hands of the potter. Even the jackals present their breasts to nurse their young. But the daughter of my people is cruel, like ostriches in the wilderness. The tongue of the infant clings to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The young children ask for bread, but no one breaks it for them. Those who eat delicacies are desolate in the streets. Those who were brought up in scarlet embrace ash heaps. The punishment of the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom which was overthrown in a moment with no hand to help her. Her Nazarites were brighter than snow and whiter than milk. They were more ruddy in body than rubies, like sapphire in their appearance. Now their appearance is blacker than soot. They go unrecognized in the streets. Their skin clings to their bones. It has become as dry as wood. Those slain by the sword are better off than those who die of hunger. For these pine away, stricken for lack of the fruits of the field. The hands of the compassionate woman have cooked their own children. They became food for them in the destruction of the daughter of my people. These are probably some of the most gruesome details in the whole book of Lamentations. The prophet Jeremiah is recalling as a personal witness these things that wrecked their society. Listen to the description. The gold has become dim. The stones of the sanctuary are scattered at the head of every street. The precious metals such as gold were taken away and only dust and ashes remain. The people of God who were precious to God were reduced to common and no longer special. Just as clay pots rather than something unique and special to the potter. Understand that if you're a follower of Christ, you and I think that we're something special because we've been redeemed. We might need to do an honest analysis on how we ourselves are living, though, to that calling. There's a false sense of security many have in the church which entitles them to do whatever makes them happy and assumes that they will have God's blessing all along. You see, God is well aware of our assumptions and he's well aware of the fact that many times our assumptions are wrong, especially when they're grounded in emotional feelings that are based off of false hope. 
especially when they're not founded on the unchanging groundwork of God's Word. You see, there are reasons why there are certain sins that are more tolerated by the church as a whole, the more exposed families are to those particular sins. There's a reason why there are sins that the church celebrates just as the church of Corinth did. And they were clearly laid out by the Apostle Paul that judgment was coming. The church has become common like the rest of the world, and in many ways, there's not much of a separation between the two, with the exception of possibly maybe gathering on Sunday morning services. You see, Peter exhorts us as Gentile believers to live differently in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-12. through 12. Here's what it says. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul." having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. You see, people may not agree with our worldview, but what they can't argue against and they can clearly observe is how we respond to them and live among them. God wants us to live out lives with good works which are then used by the Holy Spirit to still bring glory to God by those when He eventually confronts them directly. As Jeremiah continues to personally describe what he's seen here, we see some details here that certain animals, jackals, care for their young. But the people of Israel are more like ostriches who seem unconcerned at times for their young, laying their eggs where they might be trampled on. What essentially happened is the parents who were responsible for these children were not looking ahead. They were not looking ahead to the judgment that was assured was coming. They were not concerned for the safety and well-being of their children. They weren't seeing any danger of that judgment coming. They lived in the assumption of safety and plenty without any concern that judgment may hit them very directly. And unfortunately, just as happens to many people that assume wrong, their children were less left destitute, thirsty and hungry, slowly dying. You see, the truth is, the great things that the parents had been able to provide for their children had now been taken away, and they were left destitute. The money saved up didn't matter when judgment came. It was all taken away. Now, you may be thinking, this won't happen to me. I mean, these kind of circumstances that others are going through won't happen to me. But the truth is, it very well can. You see, the rumors of an economic and societal collapse are now becoming more and more apparent. They're becoming more and more of a reality. We've seen prices change quite a bit the last couple years. And those of us that have lived through this pandemic have seen the reality of the devastation that's been brought upon the whole world. Unfortunately, what happens to many in the church, the warnings of Scripture are not on our forefront. We don't think about them often. In fact, what's unfortunate is the church doesn't need more prosperity, positive messages. It needs more of an honest analysis of what God's judgment looks like. 
Because many of us in this wonderful country, the U.S. of A., have enjoyed so many things. And unfortunately, many times what happens is we do not, we do not take seriously the judgment of God. Israel never did well with blessings, neither do we. Look at how frequently we decide not to thank God for the things that we have. Look at how many things become almost automatic when we have them in this life. We just assume we deserve them. One thing that we can be positive about is that God will deal with his own children as he has throughout Scripture. The question becomes, how are we living? You see, one of the worst things a man of God can do for the people of God is tell them lies, as that song says, tell them sweet little lies, about their rebellion being acceptable to God. If one wants the blessed life, it might do them a lot of good to look in Psalm chapter 1, where it says that the blessed man has a love for God's word and a repulsion to sin. You see, the truth is, Jeremiah really says a shocking statement when he says the punishment of Israel is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom. Now, when I first read this, I was like, wait a second. Everybody always quotes Sodom in the extreme judgment of fire and brimstone. So I looked into this further. The idea here is that sometimes we assume that God will deal with the world a certain way and we get a pass, like the children of Israel thought that, on the consequences. When the truth is, Sodom, the judgment was instantaneous. Whereas with the children of Israel, and particularly Judah, it was a slow process. There was a lot that they had to go through. In fact, it was much worse. So whenever you think that only the godless will suffer the most severe consequences, I want you to remember this text. This text clearly states for us that these people went through something Sodom didn't even go through. No one came to help the people of Jerusalem when they were overthrown. All their alliances were worthless at this point. All those other nations that they had built these alliances with were not available to help them during this time. In fact, some of them apparently turned them in. You see, many of the finer people of Judah were very healthy and fit, but were reduced to worse than the commoner when judgment came to pass. They suffered just as much as the weak and unfit did in judgment. You see, there's a sense of benefit to having been killed right away rather than going through the long struggle of suffering in anguish and not being able to eat and being thirsty and eventually passing away. You see, the most gruesome is what we see in verse 10. That women that were compassionate, caring, stooped to a low, unheard of, boiling and eating their own children. You see, in order to survive, they had to eat their own children who died of starvation. Think of watching children slowly die, and the only option is to eat them to survive. It's a shocking statement, and I don't think many times we, we really feel it, what these people went through. This lament of Jeremiah as he's watching all these people dropping all around him. And the only sustenance they have 
is utterly shocking. Think of the horror a mother experienced doing something like this. All of us think, well, those things that happen in the world, in other countries, those things could never happen to me. When we look at those terrible situations, we should pause and remember God's grace. That we could be in those very same circumstances. The truth is, it's only because of God's grace that you haven't been brought to that low. You see, self-reliance always brings you to the point of failure, and many times it's more deadly than you and I can ever imagine. The prophet Jeremiah shares this personal view of the devastation, and then he shifts more to the other side of the fence view, from the outside. Number two, outside witness to judgment, verses 11 through 20. The Lord has fulfilled his fury. He has poured out his fierce anger. He kindled a fire in Zion, and it has devoured its foundations. The kings of the earth and all the inhabitants of the world would not have believed that the adversary and the enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. Because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed in her midst the blood of the just. They wandered blind in the streets. They have defiled themselves with blood so that no one would touch their garments. They cried out to them, Go away, unclean! Go away, go away, do not touch us! When they fled and wandered, those among the nations said, They shall no longer dwell here. The face of the Lord scattered them. He no longer regards them. The people do not respect the priests nor show favor to the elders. Still our eyes failed us, watching vainly for our help. In our watching we watched for a nation that could not save us. They tracked our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end was near. Our days were over, for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles of the heavens. They pursued us on the mountains and lay in wait for us in the wilderness. The breath of our nostrils, the anointed of the Lord, was caught in their pits, of whom we said, under his shadow, we shall live among the nations." You see, the ultimate perspective is one of the Lord pouring out His anger towards His own people that even those outside Jerusalem were in utter shock. They had been shaken to the core. Because the truth is, these nations had seen what God had done with the children of Israel before. They had heard the stories of Israel conquering others. Of Israel walking around the walls of Jericho and God giving that to them. Yet judgment came. And in verse 13 it says, because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed in her midst the blood of the just. You see, the priests and prophets who should have been leading the people into a life of holiness were essentially proclaiming tolerance for the things that God was vehemently clear about, that He was opposed to Him. Idolatry, adultery, and even speaking falsehoods on His behalf. A false prophet of God will say things that God never said. Which is why we need to be careful when we use the phrase, God told me. We need to be very careful to not speak something that God never uttered himself if we cannot back it up with his word. 
You see, the truth is, you will find many times throughout history that those claiming to speak for God will come with a vengeance to silence those speaking the truth to the point of trying to eliminate the messenger if they can. And they'll do it through any legal means necessary. There's one that always comes to mind whenever I think of Scripture, and that's Daniel. Daniel is the one that actually goes into captivity. And as he's in captivity, he gets a high position in Babylon. But he also makes quite a few enemies. And these enemies specifically write a law to entrap him. And you'll see this throughout history, that people will use the law in order to entrap those who love God, those who want to live by truth, those who have integrity. In fact, what is interesting is that if you even went through even more modern history, the Queen of England, Queen Mary, you would see that very similar tactics were used there as well. You see, these religious leaders assumed that they were above it all and that others had no say. In the name of tolerance, you will many times come across the most intolerant to the ways of God. And unfortunately, it usually comes from those with a religious background. You see, there are many who grow up around religion who become the most distasteful and vile people towards those of faith, all the while claiming they found a better way apart from God and His Word. It's even worse when they twist Scripture and pull verses out of context to argue for something that God Himself never said. As Jerusalem was captured, the spiritually blind were now made physically blind. They really saw reality set in. They were unclean. As more than likely, they touched dead bodies in the streets. You see, other nations did not want to accept them in their midst. God scattered them and left them helpless to fend for themselves. The once respected religious leaders had lost all respect because they were now as low as the leper on the street, defiled. You see, after the devastation they had witnessed, no nation cared enough to help them. They were looking for help. They were looking for somebody to save them, to bring them comfort. And the nations around them didn't want anything to do with them. The desperate cry from help, for help from other nations was all in vain, and they could not save them. Their friends, if you will, could not save them. That's a reality check that has a very significant implication for all of us in our lives. You see, the truth is, sometimes we hit such a low, hoping someone we relied on in the past can help us in the present. And that may very well not be the case. Sometimes we assume, just as Israel and Judah did, that those that we could rely on in the past can help us in the present. They formed many alliances throughout the years, but when they were defeated by the Syrian and Babylonian armies, the nations were not available to provide a helping hand for them. In fact, sometimes the truth is the only option is turning back to God. Even the most reliable person that you know of cannot save you or help you during certain 
moments in life. We've put too much stock in what others can do for us and too little stock in what God alone can do. The Babylonians were very perceptive when it came to where the people of Judah went to the point of being able to shoot at those from their towers that were running in the streets. To Israel and the outside world watching, it seemed like their days were numbered. This was over. The Babylonians had their number, if you will. And there was no way that they could run or hide without being caught. You see, King Zedekiah, the anointed of the Lord, as we mentioned in the past, tried to escape, but was captured, had his eyes put out, watching his children killed before they did that. Judah could not rely on its king, as he was now without any authority. You see, Constable makes a great observation here. Here's what he says. This section gives three causes for the siege. The sins of the priests and prophets, Lamentations 4, 13 through 16. Reliance on foreign alliances, Lamentations 4, 17 through 19. And the capture of Zedekiah, Lamentations 4, verse 20. So we see an interesting pivot here, though, that's made by Jeremiah. At the end of this lament, he shifts to the future. Number three, future reversal of judgment, verses 21 through 22. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom. You who dwell in the land of Uz, the cup shall also pass over to you, and you shall become drunk and make yourself naked. The punishment of your iniquity is accomplished, O daughter of Zion. He will no longer send you into captivity. He will punish your iniquity. O daughter of Zion, of Edom, he will uncover your sins. What Jeremiah essentially is doing is telling Judah's enemies, keep laughing, keep rejoicing, sarcastically speaking. But the cup of God's wrath will come on them as well. And they will be bringing it onto themselves. Which is why he says, you will become drunk and make yourself naked. You see, Edom found pleasure in the misery of Jerusalem. More than likely because they were close neighbors of Judah and showed Babylonians the best routes to take in their siege. Now, if we go back to Obadiah, we read more particular details regarding this. Let's look at these verses. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, and let us rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, you who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the ground? Though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. If thieves had come to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you will be cut off. Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If grape gatherers had come to you, would they not have left some gleanings? Oh, how Esau shall be searched out. How his hidden treasures shall be sought after. All the men in your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. 
Those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you. No one is aware of it. Will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountains of Esau? Then your mighty men or to men shall be dismayed. To the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. But you should not have gazed on the day of your brother in the day of his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. You should not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Indeed, you should not have gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped, nor should you have delivered up those among them who remained in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord upon all the nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. For as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. What's striking in this statement about Edom is that though there is a connection to the children of Israel and Judah, they wanted to be separated from them to the point of betraying them. You see, essentially what Jeremiah is doing back in the text at the end of that lament is encouraging Israel, daughter of Zion, that their end to captivity will come and reassuring Edom that your turn is coming. You see, what most people don't realize is when God judges his own people, he doesn't neglect to take care of the consequences of those that mock, those that are out to destroy the people of God. God may use certain circumstances in our lives to bring us closer to him, but he also sees injustice. The enemies of God don't get the final say when the people of God have gone astray. God does. You and I need to be very careful that we don't enjoy seeing the downfall of somebody else. We need to realize that one day your fall and my fall may be greater than theirs, just as it was with Edom. God dealt very severely with them for their cruelty and rejoicing over the people of Judah. So in conclusion, I have a question I want to ask all of us. Does anything shock you? Does anything shock you? Does it shock you when others fall? Or have you just gotten used to it because you've seen it so frequently? Does it shock you that when others fall, you haven't? Does it bring you to repentance or rather give you more fuel for pride that you're still safe? You see, the truth is, when others fall, we should be reminded once again that if it wasn't for God's grace, we could be where they are. Truth is, 
For many that have boldly claimed divorce is never an option, it became a reality. For many that boldly claimed they would never fall in that grievous sin, it became a reality. For many that boldly claimed it won't happen to me, it became a reality. Does it shock you that others can't or won't help you when you're deeply hurt? You see, the truth is, sometimes we have an expectation that those people in the past that helped us can help us in the present. And that very well may not be the case. Have you considered that it may not be something that they can help you with? That God alone is the only one that can? Is it possible that it's not others that you need, it's more of God himself? I love what Peter says to the lame man who thought he'd be getting financial help from him. He says, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazarene, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Essentially what Peter is saying is that in himself, he has nothing to offer this man who's lame. He has nothing to offer but what God himself can give him. And in this case was a literal healing. You see, the truth is, by the power of the Holy Spirit, there is always healing available. And that is something that no person on this earth can provide for someone else. It should probably shock all of us that God has been so good to us with his long suffering, knowing how vile we really are. I mean, when was the last time you and I took a look at how good God is, how gracious He is, how long-suffering He is. How many times have you woken up in the morning and you're just shocked that you're still here? How many times do you thank God for His mercies that are new every morning? You see, the truth is, God is long-suffering to His children He's long-suffering even to the rest of the world. And the unfortunate thing is many times when we're going through hardship and distress, just as the people of Israel did here, we're thinking there's no end in sight. There's no hope. And just what Jeremiah does here, he says, no, there is a future for Israel, and there is a future for us awaiting, those of us that know no Christ. If you're going through the lowest point of life, know that there is something greater awaiting you. And if you're on that mountaintop experience in this life, everything's blessed, know that there may be some dark valleys coming as well. We need to keep those things in balance. Because all of us are in different stages of life. And not all of us are as comfortable as others with what's going on right now. You see, the truth is, for some, this has been a great opportunity to reset some things with family and friends and even their personal finances. For others, it's been absolute havoc, troubling times. It's made things worse for them. We need to be aware, as the people of God, that God cares for us. He cares for his own. But sometimes our remedy is attempting to be found in people what is only found in God. You see, the truth is, when judgment comes, 
there should be no shock. Just as they were clearly warned, so are we warned. And the rest of the world should be warned that apart from Christ, there is no salvation. And there's nothing that can be added to that statement. There's nothing that we can do apart from Christ. And that includes those that know him and trust him fully. Let's close.